he who who may this isn't recording is it we're always recording oh never mind uh, uh, <laughs> jeremy has a lot he can use against I have sean a and very I. long like horrible list of things that's, oh that's good you know like uh, guys you remember when that uh what's his name bill shooty was like trying to get for governor and that tape came out of him like oh, getting yeah. on that reporter you know patrick bateman style yes, totally. <laughs> <laughs> jeremy has a lot of that on sean and i oh, oh that's fantastic <laughs> all directed towards him yeah. too so. mm-hmm. and i have it. enough filler words that i can construct pretty much anything i want Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. Hi, I'm Sean Hartman, founder of the First Cosmic Pool Cleaners Society. Do you feel like you're just going through the motions, that life has put you in a trance and now you're at the point of no return? Well, don't you be afraid, because I've found your number, and I can't wait to be the one to share our secret message with you. (laughs) Wow, Sean. You're like the pool vacuum. You just sucked up all the titles for this album. Every single piece of low-hanging fruit and all other fruit as well. They're all mine now. Yeah. They're littering the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm co-host Jeremy Ruggles, and I've got another job, guys. A new occupation? Another one? Yes. I'm here to survey you because I... I'm creating the Oreo All-Star team for Nabisco. So let's hear it. (laughs) Favorite Oreo. Double stuff. Double stuff from our secret guest, Peter. As of five minutes ago, Java Chip. Oh, it's Java Chip all the way, Sean Dad. Uh, I've always been a red velvet guy myself. Oh, that was a limited run. You like those rarities. I like that. <laughs> That's me. Yeah. Only the finest. These should be inexpensive, common, and underappreciated Oreos that we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Did that not qualify? <laughs> no, they're on the team. It's settled. All right. Well, I am co-host Peter Cook, and I am the official biographer of explorer John Smith. And I'm here to tell you that he never had a romantic relationship with Pocahontas nor did he play in an 80s synth-pop band. Or did he? I guess we're going to find out today. Hi, yeah, my name is Ike Turner, and I am the North Dakota 1995 state Class B poetry interpretation champion, and that is actually true. (laughs) That's something to hold on to. It was all, growing up on the prairie, that was all I had. (laughs) And it, you know, and again, it's no surprise I became a literature teacher. So, <laughs> you have a plaque on your wall, right? I get my the plaque is at home. So. Oh my god! <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, Ike. We've mentioned you a couple times on the podcast, but I imagine that many of our listeners who aren't from the 
Kalamazoo area might not know what you do. So why don't you just tell us just a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, th thank you for inviting me. This is really fun and special to be here. I love this record that we're going to be talking about. I am an English professor here in Kalamazoo, and um, I play music like you guys, playing a bunch of different bands and all that stuff. I've got a lovely family, uh, two two kids, and a you know, very, very, very understanding partner. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, we've been living in Kalamazoo since 2003, January of 2003, and it's, you know, it feels like home, yeah. you know, so. Originally hail from North Dakota and got to Kalamazoo by way of Norway, correct? That is exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yep, North Dakota to Norway and then and then here, so, yeah. Yeah, so. a natural common totally progression. <laughs> for yeah, for people like me who, who live close to the water and kill what we eat, so. <laughs> <laughs> Kalamazoo's chock full of Nordic refugees like you. Well, what record did you bring us today? Oh, thank you. For, and again, really appreciate this. Uh, it's a new Shoes album, and it's called Poolside. And um, yeah, it's an album I really, uh, really enjoy. And I have enjoyed since getting the record when I was about 10 years old, 1986. I was 10, 10 years old. Yeah, so yeah. you've been with this from the beginning when it was first Yeah, out. and in fact, I think the original version I have is back home in North Dakota with where, you know, where I grew up. And I think it was a German copy that, and I'll talk about how I how that came into my, <laughs> wow. you know, how that came into my, you know, my 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 possession later on. But um, yeah, I mean, just the record is still with me in weird ways. Just I know we'll get into a bunch of it later, but a little weird reverberation is uh, when I make recordings at home and demos and stuff, which I use my my phone to do to do most of that, like you know, do demos. I put percussion on everything, and a lot of times I'm hitting cups of water or cups of coffee, you know, like ceramic cups. And I totally 100% got that kind of uh, my watch set in that way from listening to new shoots, you know, like particularly from the big hit, I Can't Wait. And that was just something that's still with me today. I think about it literally every time I make a demo, which is constantly is I put those little weird things on that. And um, I don't know, not too many of them have made it to record, <laughs> but it's these little reverberations, you know, so... Yeah, so it's an album that has stuck with you. So that's yep. excellent. And, of course, we'll get to the aforementioned big hit, I Can't Wait, but we're not going to start there. Where are we starting? We're going to play a song called Lost Your Number. All right. First song on the record. Let's cue that up. Side A, track one, Lost Your Number. New Shoes Poolside, 1986. <laughs> Thank you. 
it makes perfect sense to me that the percussion is the thing that's really etched itself into your brain, Ike, because this is a great percussion album. There's so much cool rhythm and all kinds of good drum sounds happening throughout this whole thing. Yeah, totally agree. And even to the point of, I think Jeremy said it earlier, you know, it's got the gated reverb, which was on everything back then. And the snare that sounds like a shotgun going off, you know, like, <laughs> like just a totally, you know, just an explosion of a snare. It's, yeah, completely agree with you. There's a real uh, uh, kind of, I don't know, butt-shaking quality to it that I really love. So Yeah, that was the first thing when we started playing the clip. Jeremy commented on the gated reverb, and then uh, Ike said that he thinks that this album has essentially all the trappings of yeah. 80s production yeah. <laughs> contained which, within it. Which is super wild and, 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 and cool. That's I think it's one of the things I really love about it, to be honest. And then there's a guy who works on this record, an engineer who works on this record, who would go on to have a major impact on the sound of albums in the 90s, and that is Chad Blake. He He's an engineer on this album, right? And, you know, that guy would go on to do American Music Club records and Latin Playboys records and a low album, right? You know, with his part, well, not, not partner partner, but musical partner, Mitchell Froom. So it's just so wild that a person who's known for, like, getting really uh, almost Daniel Lanois organic sounds is is engineering this explosion of, of music, you know, it's, it's really, I think it's really cool. So. Yeah. And I felt like the, the percussive nature comes from the vocals. Don't draw like your attention the way a lot of pop albums, like vocals are front and center. Look at me. I have this crazy cool voice and here it feels like laid back and they kind of like fall back into kind of an even footing with the drums and synths and everything else which is it's cool it gives a vibe and that would make sense because valerie day the lead singer on this record is also a percussionist ah mm -hmm. totally in fact i believe she did more percussion in the group before taking over lead vocal duties but we'll we'll get into all the intricacies of the bio as we go before that though i just want to get a gauge of what everyone's experience with this record is. Where did you first hear it? How familiar are you with it, etc.? Uh, Ike, we'll start with you. I'll leave names out, <laughs> but we had a family friend growing up who was this awesome, awesome dude, and he was in the army, and he came back from the army and um, had a and he brought with him a bass because he's a bass player also, and he brought with him a bunch of records. Simple Minds records and Asia records and, and New Shoes and all sorts of stuff. Rush albums. I mean, like, you know, cool 80s records that I, I thought was cool. Anyway, he, he came back and he would hang out with my folks and myself. And he was like an uncle to me. I really loved the dude a lot. I still do, to be honest. And um, he gave me all of his records. And then he, like, gave me the bass, too, to try and play. I couldn't make any sense out of it. And, like, my best friend would come over and play. And I remember one day we were sitting there and we're both trying to figure out, I don't know, smoke on the water or something. And he looks at my friend and he's like, that guy, he's got talent. Ikey, I got to tell you, you don't have talent. <laughs> <laughs> and it, was, it was perfect. But the, the reason that that and then, you know, he, so he gave me those records, you know, like and then he went off and did some other stuff. Years later, I go to college. He's in the same college town that I'm in. And he's going through like pretty severe mental health issues, like pretty super severe and he's calling me, you know, at four in the morning again and again and again uh, and telling me these really, frankly, very, very, very intensely bizarre stories. And um, like one time he's having like a crisis and I and he lives 20 miles out of town. I literally drive out very, very early in the morning or late at night, however, 
go see if he's okay. And by the time I got there, his kind of, uh, I guess it would be schizophrenia uh, flare-up stopped or he got regulated or whatever. And I'm out there and he's like, well, guy, you drove all the way out here. You want this PA? And I look over and he gives me a PA. Literally, a PA, like with the speakers. <laughs> what is going on? Since you went to the trouble, here's yeah. a PA. And at that same time, we were starting a band. So it was just like, it was the, it was truly, it's like this guy comes into my life at moments that are really interesting. He gave me my first beer, which, you know, that for lack of a better word, maybe that's not so great. But uh, he took me cross-country skiing once, you know. I mean, he was just a really strong presence in my life. And I always associate listening to this record with, with him, you know, who is a damaged, difficult cranky guy who can you know probably can't hold a job but man he had the touch you know like we were watching hee-haw right and we would and i'd be i was just be like oh what is this crap you know come on you, know, you watch hee-haw at night or right after we have dinner and he'd just be like no 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 you don't understand those guys play guitar better than anybody and it it as a young age i'm just like my god that dude's right you know like those dudes are really great guitar. Like, like even, you know, Glenn, you know, Glenn Campbell was on there all the time, right? Or not Glenn Campbell, I'm sorry. Uh, Buck Owens is on there all the oh, time. Oh, yeah. It's like, geez, Buck Owens is a ripper. You know, <laughs> like these guys are all really great guitar players. See, I, I, I owe him a lot in terms of aesthetics when it comes to music stuff because he was always just cool and patient and honest and, you know, didn't care about my feelings. <laughs> he gave you that fire to prove him wrong, show him you're talented. <laughs> Which I still have not even come close to doing, so... <laughs> It drives you every day, right? Yeah. I wake up and look in the mirror. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that record, I always listen, think about him when I hear that. And it just, you know, when you're a kid, I mean, the record's called Poolside. The single, which I assume we'll be playing in a bit here. You know, I, I'm a big fan of public pools. I love going to the pool a lot. I grew up at a public pool. I swim in the pool every summer. I still do that with my kids. Like, we're just a pool, pool people, you know. And this would be playing at the pool I grew up at, right? Like... And it, you could, I just reverberating in my mind, like doing a cannonball off of the diving board while, doo -doo 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 -doo, <laughs> you know, is playing. It's all these little weird memories from just this one little record that came out, you know. And, uh, you know, is it a masterpiece? I don't know, but it's really good. And I really, I, I like the way it makes me feel. It, makes me, it gives me a nostalgic feeling on a couple different levels. So, yeah, wow. It's quite a history you have with this album, and, and it sounds like it continues. <laughs> it, it, it's still totally. with you. Yeah, it's also yeah. got to be the the best answer to that question we've had on the podcast. Generally, it's either oh, I don't know, I, I don't remember when I bought it, or I bought this and I like it. <laughs> Here's the thing that I want to know, Sean, and I don't know if you if you you all can help me with this. I, I I guess I don't know until I go home and check. I wonder if the German pressing that I have when this dude was stationed in Germany about all those records. Oh, yeah. Okay. I wonder if it has a different version of the song that we're going to hear. Because there was a version that was mixed in, was it remixed in, in Amsterdam or something, Sean? Yeah, there's a handful of different versions. We'll, we'll get into that after we, we play the big hit cool. in a little bit here. Yeah. So my, my introduction to this record was a little funny. Um, when I first started getting into... DJing a lot of it was going into it blind because I didn't grow up with most of this music I grew up and pretty much only listening to like conservative contemporary Christian music mm -hmm. and starting record digging I would find songs like this and be like wow this is great and I remember hearing this song for the first time while record digging didn't know it was a hit it was just like this song is cool and I played it at my next DJ set and people went nuts I'm like <laughs> oh, oh that's great apparently this is a song that people know and love that's cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> been playing it in dj sets ever since it always kills like no matter what crowd it is people love 
the song I Can't Wait, which we'll be hearing shortly. Yeah, I had I knew this song from growing up in the 80s. I'm sure it played at Roller World when I was roller skating. <laughs> and, you know, along with songs like Heaven is a Place on Earth and Los Lobos La Bamba, 86, 87, these are the type of songs you heard. But I hadn't heard it in years and a, a few a few years ago i think it was for a record store day i heard former guest of the podcast dj earl playing this the hit i can't wait that we're going to be hearing shortly and i thought to myself this is one i i know it that i know this from out in the world who is this what is this? By the time I got home to look it up, this is like pre-smartphone in my life. <laughs> I, I had forgotten to check it out. So when we were trying to figure out what Ike was going to come out and talk about, I and he said, new shoes, very enthusiastically. <laughs> I was like, you know, that's a Sean. Sean had proposed that one, and I don't know what it is. And Sean said, you know, tell, tell Ike, I can't wait to talk about <laughs> new shoes with him. And I... It's like, okay, I got to put it on. And, you know, within a few seconds, I was like, this song, that's, so this is New Shoes. The song <laughs> that's just been in the air my whole life. You know, sometimes I don't hear it for years and then it comes back with a vengeance. And I always really liked it, but I just never had the presence of mind to like seek them out. So I'm so glad that we're talking about this today because it's, it's cool. It's one of those songs that you just know from life and, and there's more to it. Jeremy, how about you? My story is just the same as Peter's, except it takes place a week ago when I'm like, <laughs> what album are we doing this next week? What uh, alternative college rock crap is I coming on with? <laughs> and they're like, new shoes. I'm like, I don't know what that is. Okay, and I'll put it on. And, and then that song comes out. I'm like, oh, this song. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, yep. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I asked Jeremy earlier today if he listened to the record yet, and his response was something like, I've listened to it. It was very energetic. It was very caffeinated, I said. Caffeinated. Oh, yeah, that yeah. too. Yeah. In the 80s, uh, caffeine was called cocaine. So that's kind of interesting. So. Tootski. So. Oh, that explains this record. Pretty well, thoroughly. I think we've teased this song enough. It, it's time to cue up the mega hit. That if, if you're not sure which one we've been talking about yet, as soon as you hear this intro, you're going to know. Mm -hmm. This is side A, track two, I Can't Wait.
yesterday I was talking with my with my wife about like uh, we were talking about the song uh, "Milkshake" by Kelis, which I love. I I think that that to me, you know, again, it's impossible to determine these things, but I just think that's like the greatest single. You know, like maybe like even like the greatest single of all time. You know, close. It's really really good, but the greatest single of the two thousands, right? I just think that that is such a fantastic, perfect song. And for the 80s, this one hits all of those marks for me, too. And again, it's impossible, but it has everything. It's got the, the as we've talked about before, the rhythmic thing going on, that muted guitar, or not muted, the, the, the palm muted kind of guitar thing that's in seemingly, you know, endless amount of songs in the 80s. Like Michael McDonald uses that palm muted guitar thing all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, well, geez, uh, what's his name from The Police does, uh, Andy Summer, right? All of this stuff is just encoded into this song. I think it's just absolutely perfect, you know? Yeah, their choice of synthesizer keyboard sound seems oh. taken right out of the playbook of Peter Gabriel or Kate Bush, yeah. and but put to maybe even greater pop effect than, dare yeah. I say, either of those artists who are great ever did. Yeah, <laughs> totally agree. Like what we said, I have a Juno keyboard I screw around with and, you know, try and do stuff with, and I, I always queue up that noise. Like the, the way that song, that kind of weird vocal thing that's there, it's it's a patch on there, and I love it. I love screwing around with it. And as you said, it's it's useless. It's so yeah. there's, no, there's no way I could put this in a song and have it not sound horrible. But they did yeah. it somehow. Yeah, that's what Jeremy was telling us. And, and then he's like, and then here it is in this mega hit. This thing that I think is useless. Yes, totally great, and it, arguably the one of the most identifiable hooks in modern pop music, you know? So I just, I just think it's fantastic. So yeah. And even amongst people who probably couldn't even name the band, they would recognize the song. It's just one of those things that has become, you know, part of the fabric of pop culture. Totally. And yet few people are talking about new shoes. So Sean, why don't you tell us who are these people? Yes. There is such a fascinating career arc with this band and some just completely unexpected left turns. I had a lot of fun researching this group. So let's just dive right into this bio. Our story starts in 1975. A 19-year-old John Smith hitchhikes his way on a whim from San Pedro to Olympia, Washington, with the intention of visiting a girl who, as it turned out, wasn't actually that glad to see him. And so, it wasn't it wasn't Pocahontas. No, no. <laughs> different. So the next day he intends to head back, but at a friend's suggestion, he first spends a night at a Portland hippie commune named the first cosmic bank of divine economy. Oh my gosh. That's perfect. (laughs) And when, when he, uh, when he goes there, he meets this 15 year old girl named Valerie day and decides to stay even longer at the commune. And as time went on, they both fell in love. And then a lot of time went on (laughs) and she got older. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like a little bit sketchy. They said they fell in love like a month after meeting. It's not the age of consent, but they made it work and have been together ever since. I will say that anyways, over the next few years, the two began playing a lot in the local Latin jazz scene in the late seventies. They traveled to New York city and became very inspired by the, latin disco fusion scene that was happening in the clubs around there Mm. and then in 1979 the band new shoes was born initially spelled n-u-s-h-o-o apostrophe s all one word (laughs) they started as a quartet and were playing some soul covers like the temptations but then also doing 
some very strange and dark Mahavishnu Orchestra inspired fusion jazz originals. You can find like a clip of one of their first shows on their website of them performing this stuff. And it is, it's not what you would expect from <laughs> listening to this record. <laughs> yeah. And then in 1980, three of the band members quit and John decided to replace them, but then also add a horn section and backing vocalist. And they reemerged from the Portland scene as a 12 piece band playing mostly Latin fusion, very, very similar to stuff that Santana was doing at the time. Again, another just unexpected twist of their musical direction. Mm -hmm. And then from there, over the next two years, they develop a very slick and almost yacht rock sound, um, very similar to like Chicago or Michael McDonald era Doobie Brothers. Mm -hmm. And they released their first album in 1982 called Can't Turn It Off, which has that kind of Michael McDonald-esque sound to it. They had some local success with it. There's only ever been one pressing of it, and that album has been something of a collector's item since then. And then in 1983, five of the band members left all at once, and they decided to keep going on as a seven-piece band. And at this point, Valerie Day becomes the actual lead singer of the group. And during this time period, the band starts shifting into a more guitar and synth-driven new wave sound, and that winter in 1983, John Smith writes the song, I Can't Wait. And if you've been uh, paying attention so far, you know that that song, as we're hearing it, didn't come out until 1986. There's a whole strange journey that this song took before it became the massive hit that we know it now. <laughs> it's like the Verb Pipes freshman. <laughs> <laughs> but good. <laughs> For those of you out there... Exactly. Uh, Verve pipe is like a hometown. I don't know if "heroes" the word. Uh, a Kalamazoo classic. <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so the song "I Can't Wait" is written in 1983. It's not actually released until 1985 when they put out an EP called "That's Right." Upon release, one Portland music critic said that the music was good, but local radio stations would never play it, which is a wonderful thing to hear from a critic. <laughs> so local Portland DJ Gary Bryan, who was at Portland's top 40 station KKRZ, took this review as a challenge. And even though he didn't have the record in the studio, he announced on air that if the band New Shoes heard him and could bring him the record, he would play it. And miraculously, the band's manager was listening to that radio station at that time, rushed over with a copy. Gary listens to it, picks the song, I Can't Wait. This is the original American version that sounds not significantly different from the one that we're familiar with, but different enough. It, it lacks, uh, well, like that synth line that we were talking about. A lot of the textures. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the textures and the like really memorable synth line is missing, but the the bones of it are are very intact. So anyways, he plays a song I can't wait on the radio and it just instantly takes off. The phone lines light up, people are requesting it and it becomes a top 10 local hit. But despite all of this, no major label wants to sign them. And that so the EP flops for the most part. They're still just like a relatively successful local band and that doesn't seem like they're going anywhere further than that then in a surprise twist later that year a producer in the netherlands named peter hithouse that's his dj name <laughs> releases a 12 inch remix on a dutch label called injection records oh. 
And then the single becomes a hit import in the U.S. And Atlantic Records takes notice, picks up distribution of the single, and then in January of 1986 actually signs the band New Shoes. Quick question before you go further. Yeah. Did New Shoes know this uh, remix was being made in the Netherlands, or was this like a surprise when it got here? I think it was a surprise to them. From what I understand, their song was just on a a collection of singles and this DJ and producer in the Netherlands heard it, liked it. You know, I'm assuming got permission to make a remix of it. And then it was re-released in the Netherlands with the um, original on the A side and then his remix on the B side. And his remix is the one that first introduced the iconic synth sound and a lot of the elements that you would associate with this song. And that's why it became such a big hit was the, the, the elements that he added to it. This happened in the, there were a few other instances. I'm thinking of like Suzanne Vega, mm-hmm. Tom's Diner. Yeah. Which was what, wasn't that an acapella yes, song originally? And then yeah. it was remixed into this dance song. And then that, I believe, becomes the first song ever compressed into the MP3 format. Oh, wow. Like that was the, that was the canary in the coal mine for the MP3 format in, you know, I mean, many, many years ago, you know. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's always interesting when the, the remix becomes the hit. Absolutely. Yeah. When or when the video was shot then? Because the video is also imprinted in my mind as much as like staying up late on Friday nights to watch Friday night videos and stuff. The and, video for I Can't Wait. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder when that was shot. Probably. It seems like all of that would have happened very, very quickly. Because like I said, they got signed in January of 86 and mm-hmm. the record was on the shelves just a few months later. They pretty much immediately entered the studio and this was a a band that had been working hard for years so they knew these songs they were ready to go and then plus they got paired with a pretty legendary team of people to work with the group there's three different producers of note on here there's jeff lorber who is a big fusion jazz hit maker and i guess you could say an architect of the smooth jazz sound Mm -hmm. yeah we've talked about him once or twice before yep and there's another guy named marlon mclean who is the guitarist and band leader of the funk group Pleasure, who did a really good job of mixing funk and jazz influences together, something that makes sense that he was on there. And then a name that some of our listeners will know, Shep Pettibone, who is a pretty legendary 80s and 90s dance music architect, producer, mixer, remixer, DJ, profound influence on dance music culture during that time period. So like I said, they get the album released quickly, I'm assuming just record it, shoot the music videos, hit the road, all that as fast as possible. And before you know it, the song I Can't Wait goes to number two on the R&B charts, number three on the Billboard Hot 100. Mm -hmm. Their follow-up single, Point of No Return, also charts really well. And the album itself was gold certified by October of 86. Meaning it had sold 500,000 copies? Yeah, within the first few months of it being released. That's a lot of copies. They, they were also Grammy nominated the following year in 1987. They were nominated for the Best New Artist Grammy, and they actually lost to Bruce Hornsby and The Range. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, man. They should have put some yeah, mandolin on their that. record. They would have had a chance. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about them genre hopping a whole bunch, and I would just like to note that by the time this record came out, they were playing a style of music that would eventually become known as freestyle. Do any of you guys have any familiarity with what that genre means? No, I saw that listed as 
their first genre and i was very confused i was like what are they freestyle rapping <laughs> yeah it just sounds like synth pop in the yeah. mode of i mean i, I you can hear you I, I mean i remember you can hear this next to a depeche mode song and then lisa lisa and cult jam song on the radio you know like they're all yeah. would fit of a of a, of a of a tapestry so freestyles is one of those genres that i've heard a bunch and seen around and had like a vague idea of what it meant based on the bands that I'd seen with that tag, but I made sure to dig around a little bit to give a actual definition. Freestyle also known as Latin freestyle or Latin hip hop was an eighties electronic dance music genre that was popularized in the underground Latin and Italian American club scenes around New York, New Jersey, and Philadelphia. The style was sort of a bridge between funk, especially like the boogie funk and synth pop and hip-hop and Latin rhythms of the time. And the genre was later replaced or kind of morphed into house music and new jack swing. Mm. Mm, interesting. There's lots more definitions on all the like technical aspects of what made it, but um, very syncopated bass lines and percussion elements, especially with the Latin rhythm influence, are a common feature. It's cool. a pretty wild lineage there. Fully. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I kept thinking about the early recordings that I heard and how they're so different. Like, you listen to their first record and it does not sound like the same band at all. But then when you really pay attention to this record, you can tell how they're taking all of these influences and experiences and pouring them into this new genre that they're doing, which I think really is what makes this record special. It's what makes it memorable. It's not it's not basic. It's pulling from a rich musical history. I love stories about bands that kind of, uh, and I don't want to use the word derogatorily or derisively, they kind of toil for a while and then have that sort of like, you know, that hit. I mean, I mean, this is a corny one, but it's, it happened was like Twisted Sister, right? They, they went through other genres you know, glam rock and then arena rock or whatever, and they were ready to give it up. And then they get that hit in the eighties too. Again, New Shoes is greater than Twisted Sister. But, well, well, we're going we're gonna to argue about this right yeah. now. <laughs> I mean, it's a soft spot for those. You know, Elizabeth Cotton, you know, works for 40 years before somebody figures out like, oh, wow, this is a person who plays guitar better and more interestingly than anyone. You know, Sun House. I mean, well, what's yeah. the big one? Uh, Six Toe Rodriguez, right? Like the... Oh, yeah. You know, like mm -hmm. that's a huge one, you know? like More, more recently, Charles Bradley. Oh, gosh, yeah. yes. And Sharon Jones even, too, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. R.I.P. to both of them. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, we're going to dive into another song in just a second, but I wanted to leave you with some of the work that the band has been doing since then. They released another record in 1988 called Told You So, where you can hear a lot more of the the sounds and styles that you would kind of associate more with house music and genres coming later. So they were still following the trends throughout their whole career. They actually had another record that they had begun working on and had pretty much in the can when they were unfortunately dropped from Atlantic records in 1992. Mm -hmm. And after that, the band basically retired for about 20 years. John went on to do a lot of music for commercials and films. Valerie uh, does vocal lessons plays as a session percussionist and also sang in various local jazz groups in the Portland area. Then in the mid 2000s, Valerie began working on remaking the band's songs and performed as the New Shoes Orchestra and also released an album of some reworked material. And in 2013, the band officially reunited with all original members 
and have been playing shows since then. And they also released another original album in 2016 called Bagtown. So a success story, I would say. Totally. They're still happy and making music and... And married, right? They're still together. And married, yeah. Like, that's the shocker of it all is that like they kept a partnership <laughs> yeah yeah that's amazing <laughs> through that's, the fame and everything yeah. yeah wow that's rare i do wonder i would love i don't know if there's a way to find like if we could get if we could get somebody to give us the statements on this i would love to know every year what the royalty statement just from i can't wait is you know, from ASCAP <laughs> yeah. or BMI yeah, yeah. or whatever they're on, you know, I would love to know if that was like, yeah, that was enough for us to live on for a while or, you know, I know it had to have come close. I would imagine. Yeah. I know that not in the same band, but roughly same time period. I know that Kathy Valentine from the Go-Go's said that, you know, they've re- they've wisely renegotiated their contract several times. And she, from just vacation, the song vacation alone every year, she makes about $6,000. Oh, wow. you know, that's, no, you know that's just that one song. Just that one song, <laughs> yeah. and just her involvement in radio. Yeah, just oh. her. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, you'd hear, you'd hear stories of like Terry Jacks. Uh, we had joy, we had fun, we had a season in the sun. Literally claiming, I I didn't release a whole lot of songs after that because I didn't have to. Yeah, he's like, I, that was it. Like the the royalties from that for years and years and years kept him. He didn't have to work. He had his, you know. That yeah. Was it, so. If you have a good contract and yeah, yeah. So. Knowing how sketchy some of the record stuff in the '80s were, well, through all of time, really. Yes. But, <laughs> absolutely. But uh, who knows? Maybe they're not making a penny off this stuff. For all we know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Be curious though. Yeah. It'd be interesting It'd to see what what's the yearly check if there is one. You know. Well, Sean, you got another song for us. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, next up, another side one, track four this time, Going Through the Motions. Get 
Valerie Day, the vocalist, is very front and center on that track. I noticed in some cases, yeah, the, the instrumentation is so full and so textured on this. And there were a few points, you, both Sean and Ike, you picked some really good selections to feature. There were a couple tracks where I think they tried to make her voice more of the centerpiece and it didn't really work, in my opinion, listening through the album. Uh, but there's some where she really shines more. That one is a good example of that, where she commands your attention a little bit more. I think maybe maybe she's just more into that song than <laughs> some of the other songs. But she definitely displays a somewhat limited range, but it somehow works really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely something I took note of. It, in uh, paying more attention to her vocals on this album. Yeah. I mean, this band has got soul, you know, (laughs) they knew what they were doing. They, they worked with what they got. Mm -hmm. And I will also say like, initially when I started listening to this record, you know, there's a few songs that jumped out at me and the rest seemed to kind of be whatever. But the more I listened to it, there's not a bad song on this record for my money, at least. I mean, there, there are great songs and there are good songs on here. I think. Yeah. And the dude's a shredder. Like there's a, you know, he, he clearly comes from that kind of shredder school. Like you said, Mahavishnu Orchestra stuff back in the day. You, you know, you don't, you can't fake that stuff, right? Yeah. And he, there's a couple like 80s solos on this record that are like, oh yeah, he was going for it. He was, yeah. he was trying to do the, he was trying to fit into that mode or whatever is going on in the 1980s. And those two things smashing together with this sort of, yeah, I don't know, dance hall or pop music or whatever you want to call it, free freestyle, you know? Yeah. I, I love that. It struck me as a little bit of that Isley shredding. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally, where it's a little like, oh, that caught my ear, you know? Yeah. Like somebody, yeah. somebody was in the Tasteful studio and shred. sort of nudged the mixer up a little. <laughs> I read in an interview that John said he was convinced as a kid that he wanted to become a doctor and that ended immediately the first time he heard Jimi Hendrix. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and that from there, like Hendrix led to getting into Mahavishnu Orchestra and then from there Coltrane and just took all of those influences and kept yeah. adding to it and mixing them together. Love it. That's so great. I had a mentor in graduate school who was, uh, he was at one point uh, uh, a Paramore of like Brett Easton Ellis and those kind of guys. He was a, he was in that like level of writing. Just so you know, Ike is pointing at me as he says this. Yes. <laughs> Before we started recording, we made a less than zero reference. Oh, that's right. Jeremy yeah. said he really enjoyed the book and then saw the movie and suddenly didn't like yeah. <laughs> like it so much anymore. And that dude himself, uh, Brett Easton Ellis, is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> terrible human being but i think i've only read the rules of attraction i, I never even got through american psycho oh yeah it's brutal <laughs> but this guy like my, my mentor dude told me about uh the life-changing uh force that hendrix was and he said he used to and this is you know in north dakota i didn't even know where kalamazoo was he used to come to kalamazoo college and they would do acid <laughs> and like you know like they'd they'd cook it up or make it or whatever however you make acid and then he saw hendrix you know very early on it might have been on that monkey store where at first the you know he was opening for the monkeys and then about five shows in they were like oh no wait we're gonna open for Hendrix, and he said uh, he was really off put he said he'd never heard anything that loud he was really like confused he didn't know what was going on, and then like the next week after that every every subsequent week it's all he could think about mm. it was all he could think about was that sound that Hendrix was doing and I 
to to hear that another musician is like, yeah, I'm gonna do- dedicate my life to music. I think is fantastic. And I wonder, like Johnny Appleseed, how many people did that for you know after hearing Hendrix? You know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. There's something to be said for. Uh, that's a great experience when you're not ready for something the first time you experience it, or you hear it. I guess that's why they were called the Jimi Hendrix experience. Totally. Right? Yeah. It, it, it wasn't a band. It was an experience. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's a, something new. And I've had that happen where you, you just, just like a, weeks might even go by and suddenly you're like, I didn't enjoy that at the time, but it's sticking with me. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Fully agree. Sean, do you have any other sticky artists? Yeah, I was just going to ask you if you wanted to ask me that. It seemed like the time. <laughs> it's that time. I've got a little list of five records that I would highly recommend you go check out if you're into this one. First up, one of the producers that we mentioned, Jeff Lorber. Uh, honestly, most of his records that I've heard, I kind of despise. But <laughs> he's got this one record called In the Heat of the Night from 1984, that's just, it's a fucking banger. It's so good. <laughs> it's got a really similar synth sound to what's going on in here and kind of is working in the same territory of like a little bit jazz, but very funk and very, very danceable. Highly recommended. You can find that one easy. Next up, Shannon, Let the Music Play from 1984. Oh. We mentioned <laughs> the freestyle genre. The title track from that album is considered the first ever freestyle song. What so a song. that is a a classic from from this style and you can still find that one real cheap too exactly third one uh one of the biggest freestyle bands to come from philadelphia is a band called pretty poison they have an album from 1988 called catch me i'm falling is highly recommended Wow. And then two records that we've covered on the show before Midnight Star Headlines from 1986. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought some of that. Similarities one. there. Yeah. yeah. And then one that Peter has covered Jody Watley's Larger Than Life from 1989. Love it. I had one that I was going to add. Please do. I was thought of this when checking this out. And that is Prefab Sprouts from Langley Park to Memphis, which is from 1988. You know, not exactly along the same lines, but it's just a, a similar energy in some way. I thought that's got the uh, like uh, the King of Rock and Roll and Cars and Girls are two of their better known songs. I'm not sure how much their records go for. Sean, you might be able to speak to what pre- prefabs, but I don't think the word is fully out on them. Those who know know. Yeah, but it's I don't know if they're the five to ten dollar range of records or not. I feel like I see them around, but I don't think I've ever really listened to that band, so it's not something I've registered that hard when I'm mm. out digging. I'll have to listen to them now from your recommendation. Check it out. Might be too goofy for you. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I will give it an honest shot either way. Uh, anybody else have a, a recommendation they want to add for the people? I think one we did back in the day would apply materials one down that we covered okay has yeah a similar energy oh, that, mm-hmm. uh, that bill that bill as well yeah bill as well i assume this is not the material with when sunny Chirac was in the band they've had different it is they, it, they have it, a bunch of different records that are like uh very different sounding oh my goodness gracious yeah. i mean that album alone had both Niall Rogers and Whitney Houston on it. Oh my and, word. And Fantastic. it was Archie Shep on that too. 
<laughs> yes, he was. Um, and that was Whitney Houston's first recorded appearance ever. Yeah. Amazing. It's on that material record. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. It, it combines, you know, rock and jazz and funk and just mixes everything together for an interesting result. Love it. Well, wonderful. And that's, that's about all I've got for my notes on this record. Does anybody have any final thoughts before we play one last song and head out? I want to hear Ike's plugs. Plugs. Plug oh. something, Ike. Ay, 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 ay. Yeah. <laughs> got to You gotta get specific with what Ike Turner has going oh, on. Oh my gosh. I got it... my hand on my wallet. Just tell me where to <laughs> lay down these bills, Ike. Well, go to Bandcamp. <laughs> yeah, you know, I play in a million bands. I don't know. I, I I'll say three that are maybe more active-ish bands, but uh I play in a band in Kalamazoo here called Out. And if you just search for Out kazoo on Bandcamp, you can find that and uh i played a band called wowza in kalamazoo here in kalamazoo obviously yeah, and yeah. we're pretty active too and yeah it's wowza in kalamazoo is the name of the is band. the name of the band yeah <laughs> <laughs> my daughter named it or my my oldest kid named it so and then um i play drums in a band that's based out of denver colorado uh called new standards men and um that's really a two-piece but Every once in a while, uh, my friend Bob Bucko Jr. and I go out there and we're in that band. When, when we're all four together, we're you know in the band then. And that's really super, super rewarding. And it's one of those things that's like v- very much worth like going to Denver to do that, you know, to like hang out, record, play shows, that type of thing. And I love playing with those guys too. So Yeah. yeah. You and I are in a loose collective project, Kalamazoo yeah. Drone Society. And Absolutely. Sometimes I show up and... Ike's not there. Oh, he's in Denver recording. Yeah, Yeah, with our friend Brad Miller, who's the kind of, I guess he's sort of the head of the Kalamazoo Drone Society. And he, yeah, he's just a brilliant dude. So yeah, I feel super crazy lucky to play with the people I play with and to be as active as I can be. And it's really, I feel, yeah, I feel very lucky or an overused word. I feel blessed to be honest. So yeah. Thoughts and prayers. Well, Shout out to uh, former guest of the show, Bob Bucko Jr., He joined us for a Christmas episode this year. And uh, the greatest. The Isley Brothers. Yeah. The aforementioned Isley Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He's the most, he's probably the most pure musician I've ever played music with. Like he, it just comes out of him. Like it comes, music comes out of him in the most, uh, yeah, as if he's breathing, I guess. I don't know. He's really, he's really unbelievable. Yeah. Just mid episode, he'll drop a song, you know, (laughs) like while we're talking to him there. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. Amazing human being. So. Do you want to drop the course registration number for your history of rock and roll class? <laughs> what is it this year? Two zero four three eight. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, I, I, that that's been really super rewarding too. I I wonder how much how much longer I'll be teaching it. To be honest, because just for like my own sanity, uh, I, that's not part of my tenure load. So my tenure is in the English department. So yeah. I really, really love teaching rock and roll history a lot, but it's also like, oh, I've, you know, my kids are getting older and I need to think about like maybe having some time, you know, yeah. <laughs> pulling back. So, so yeah, maybe up, I, I'm, I think I'll be teaching for next few years at least, but then I think at some point that's probably going to end up going away. So. I, I took the class before you were teaching there. And I really am upset that I wasn't in a class that 
can Tago Mago got discussed in the middle <laughs> of the history of rock and roll. Yeah. Please tell me you somehow work that in. Sure do, all the time, yeah. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah. I run into so many musicians around town who mention that they took your class, so. It's wild. It's very I, cool. Yeah, I've never, I just swear to you, anytime I go to any store, coffee shop, restaurant, anywhere, literally any single time I do it, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I, I see a student or a former yeah. student or... And it's just just because I've been doing it for so long, and I teach so many classes, and it's it's been really rewarding. It's super super great. It's it's just one of those things like uh, you gotta wear a disguise. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Well, you know, you know, I guess that's community for you. So. I, I can't <laughs> wait for all those former students to tune in to see what you came to talk about and find out it's new shoes. <laughs> uh, another a student already made a fun, funny little comment on social media on Instagram. Like, Oh, when you posted that you were going to be yeah, talking about they, this, they were like, what, you call yourself a rock and roll history professor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. And I love this band and I yeah. love this record. So. Yeah. No shame. <laughs> no, not at all. Music. Yeah. I, I lost that years ago. So yeah. <laughs> you're just like, this is all me. Yep. Totally. So. Well, Fantastic. Yeah, well, what are we going out on? Uh, we're going out on the hit Point of No Return. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This one, I believe I recognize this one as well when I checked out the album. It's, it definitely feels like another hit, too. It, it's It's got that energy to it. So. Mm-hmm. Great music video for this song, too. Yep. I checked out both the I Can't Wait and the Point of No Return videos in preparation for this. and. Oh, I had such yeah. a crush on her when I was a kid. Holy moly. <laughs> her and, I guess, Elizabeth Shue and uh, Diane Sawyer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Man. Elizabeth Shue. Yeah. <laughs> Big time 80s crush there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much, Ike Turner, for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. This was a yes, blast. Yes, thank you. Please come back. Oh, I'd love to. This was really, really super awesome. I really appreciate it. This has been I'd Buy That for a Dollar. My name is Peter Cook. I'm Sean Hartman. And I'm Jeremy Ruggles. Good night or good morning. But not